Oh, hey, I'm Nevin, and I'm cooking up a podcast. Each week, I'm going to share some new recipes, talk to people about food and cooking, make some videos, and go on some adventures. You can find it all at nevintaylorcooks.com. This week, my guest is Jeremy Seawall from Island Creek Oyster Bar, Row 34, and Lesa Blonde. And I'm sharing my recipe for chowder greens. The intro song is called Boomer Babe by Tiny Farm. All right, all right. Thanks for listening to the second episode. We've done it. This is now two down. Dreams are coming true. Everything is happening. Um... This week's guest is Jeremy Seawall. He owns and is the chef at Island Creek Oyster Bar, Row 34, and the newly opened Le Ceblon in Harvard Square. Um, he is a hugely inspirational guy to me. Um, he is just killing it. He's got a bunch of restaurants, a bunch of employees. You know, he's made a lot of other people around him successful as he started to come up which is just like, you know, the dream. And it's opened up a lot of new opportunities um, for him and all of the people around him. Um, and that is the dream, you know, that's that's great. I love everything he's got going on, what he's got doing. Uh, so he recently, we talk about a bunch of different stuff, but he recently, one interesting thing he's got going on, he recently partnered with the UNH Extension School to do a uh, farmed steelhead trout program. They're sustainably raised in open ocean pens off in the coast of New Hampshire. Um, so we talk about all that stuff. He's written two books, The New England Kitchen and Oysters, A Celebration of the Raw. He just has a love for New England and New England seafood and everything. We talk about a bunch of different stuff and we talk about the most epic cook out he yeah i'll let him tell you about it but i'm just hoping one of my hopes and goals for this whole thing is that maybe you know next year next season when he's out and fishing and having an epic cookout like maybe i'll get the invite you know who knows you know you can dream you can dream a guy can dream you can go check out any of his restaurants they're all awesome you know island creek oyster bar there's one in kenmore square there's one in burlington mass there's a row 34 down in fort point there's a row 34 in uh, portsmouth new hampshire and the newly opened les Blanc in harvard square um you can follow him on twitter and instagram at jeremy underscore sewall s-e-w-a-l-l or you can check out his website jeremysewall.com um, see stuff he's got going on. He's got a bunch of recipes and stuff up there. Um, you can check out, see what's going on. He's got an events thing and all that, all that good stuff of, uh, what's going on. So, yeah. So anyway, this, oh, this week, this recipe this week, after I talked to Jeremy about being in New England, all that sort of stuff, I'm from New England. Um, I'm sharing a recipe that I developed a while ago and it is a hit. Everybody always loves it when they have it. I usually cook it for Thanksgiving dinner and like some bigger meals when people are around. Um, it's called chowder greens. Um, and it is a banger. 
it's got it's it's based it's braised greens braised with chowder flavors and topped with oyster crackers and thrown in the oven and yeah it's a christmas i made it this christmas and my dad scotty t the legend he uh it was a good batch he loves it he loves it every time i make it um yeah it's just become one of those things so anyway i'm gonna share that recipe with the world this week and hopefully people some people make it hopefully people just look at it i don't know maybe you'll maybe you'll eat it maybe you won't eat it maybe you'll make it maybe you'll like it maybe you'll be like hey that's dumb and i'll be like that's cool too you know either way anyway this is me talking with jeremy jeremy would you like to please introduce yourself to everyone uh i'm jeremy soul chef owner of island creek oyster bar row 34 and Lace sablon in harvard square and now you're involved with some more projects. This new one that's starting to get some, some, some traction right now, or it's coming to fruition right now, is the UNH yeah. trout project. You know, the UNH thing I kind of stumbled into. We, you know, we have the restaurant in Portsmouth, Road 34 in Portsmouth, and how I found this fish or found this program so was really interesting. I saw a picture on um, Instagram of this fit of a steelhead trout, and it was a beautiful fish. It said grown in New Hampshire. So I sent the picture to my purchaser, Phil, and I said, Phil, find me this fish. Uh, I want to get some of this fish. I just think it's beautiful. I have a restaurant in New Hampshire. If they're growing it up there, I'd, I'd love to, you know. Um, so he he called, he got on the UNH website, found the directory online and just started, he left voicemails for like 20 people in the biology and the marine biology department. until so somebody finally called him back. And uh, we met with these guys. They talked about the project and just really exciting, um, kind of a, a newer way to farm fish, um, where really it's it's a pen in the ocean, and inside the pen is the fish swim in the net, and vertically along the outside of the pen, we grow kelp and mussels, and the kelp and mussels kind of filter a lot of nitrogen out of the water. It's not... That's coming from the feed and the salmon through so you have them all they need to go to the bathroom right the kelp so, the waste so it's not yeah so i mean it's not they're filtering nitrogen out it's not a, every piece of nitrogen the fish put in that they're right. filtering out right. it's not an even swap okay but they are taking more nitrogen out of the water than the fish are putting in i see um but it's not exactly so it's not like a closed system no but it is like it's you know it's the best case scenario for an op of it you know, a pen system like that where it's removing nitrogen and fish are putting nitrogen in. It's it's balancing itself out the best that it can. So when they, you know, we talked about the system, they showed it to me, the fish were beautiful. Um, you know, and I'm, I truly believe for a guy who sells fish for a living that aquaculture is going to be really important to my industry. Um, you know, we talk about fish all the time and where fish comes from and now, I hate the word sustainable, but, you know, it's a big part of what people talk about and what, you know, what that really looks like and what that means. So, you know, they had grown this fish. It was beautiful. We had gotten some of it. It had roe in it. I mean, it was just a really incredible fish. Uh, and they were telling me all about it. And they're like, well, we're not going to. I'm like, I can't wait for next year. They're like, well, we're not going to grow any next year. And um, really what had happened was they, they, you know, they're a university. They were learning something. There was right. students had a, they had a mission and research to do and they had done it. So they lost some of their funding. So I just, you know, got to step in and partner with UNH and, and we're growing fish. Yeah. And we just grow. started harvesting. Yeah. 
I saw a picture on Instagram of like I think it was like the first kind yeah, of crate. Yeah, last week was our first crate. They yeah. look beautiful. We're going again tomorrow to harvest another hundred fish. So no way. Yeah, a hundred fish at a whack. That's how. It, yeah, we had. Uh, we I mean, it's it's fish farm. It's like any farming. Like yeah. you are, right. you know, fish are going to die. Um, weather's going to be an impact. Like it is. It is not manufacturing it's farming and farming comes with a lot of risk so yeah. uh we have you know we ended up with about a thousand fish that were harvestable so we're going to take a you know a few a week over the next few weeks until they're till they're gone so we did a few last week we're gonna do 100 tomorrow uh, a couple hundred the next week and then probably by you know middle of february they will all be out of the water and then march we're gonna i think we're gonna do it all again do a start another start another growth cycle it's so cool that's so cool that's like the next level that's like you know i I'm, I don't have, there's no monetary gain for me. Really, it's like I get to farm these fish and, and but I think it tells a story. I think, I think it lent, I want to be part of the food system that supplies my restaurants in some small way. Yeah. It's an educational tool. Right. I think fish farming is looked upon pretty negatively in a lot of places, not everywhere, but it's a very important part of what we do. You know, the kelp is harvestable and usable. Um, where the pen is right now, the mussels aren't usable, but you can move them. It's just a closed shellfish area. It's not for any particular reason. Uh, so you can move those to a different location and let those, you know, filter for a few weeks and harvest those. How so many a, mussels are we talking? Well, the system is designed that it can hold up to eight tons of mussels uh, that you grow around. And, and again, it's education, it's research. Yeah. So they're doing different... Um, there's these ducks that come in and will dive down and can strip the whole line of mussels that grows. Um, so they're doing these like mesh uh, biodegradable bags. It's like sleeves on the mussels. They're experimenting with different ones of those that kind of expand as the mussels grow. Um, there's different wild seaweeds that are growing and they're, you know, putting some stuff out there. So it's just a pretty amazing yeah. system to kind of, sure. and, and we put oysters in there this year to see if they'd grow. And they did pretty well. We didn't harvest any. We put them, you know, we took them out when it got really cold. Yeah. in storage for next year or so. It's just a cool system. And to be able to talk to that, talk to the staff about that, talk to um, about what we're doing and how seriously we're taking, you know, yeah. where our fish comes from and how it's grown and just kind of being part of that narrative. Yeah, your um, staff in the restaurants. Yeah, we take them up to the fish farm and, right. um, you know, we, we've we had sous chefs out there. One, you know, the sous chef or one of the chefs from New Hampshire is going to go out and harvest tomorrow with them. And, um, you know, it's... You know, seeing a fish on your plate is one thing. Yeah. Tracing that back to saying, you know, last week I got to put a net in the water, take the fish out, bleed the fish, bring it to the restaurants and cook it. And like that is just a part of a, a story that I love to tell and that we love to share with the, the staff and the guests. I mean, it's just, it's a pretty impactful piece of what we do. It's definitely, that's definitely dream status for sure. Yeah. Being a part of projects like that, having a place to connect to the circle with your staff, share it with them, have them be inspired, be a part of something like that, and then share it with people for sure. It's like definitely a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's really cool to do. I mean, I I, I said to my wife on the car ride home last week after we'd harvested all this, and it was freaking cold. We were chiseling ice off the oh man off the off the dock, and it's, it's the coolest thing I've done. I didn't I haven't felt like that since a culinary student. You know, like where you're, yeah. you know, you're just being wonder. You know, there's it, a sense of wonder. Yeah, at 46 year old being inspired by food is is not as easy as it was when you're 26. So when you're growing and harvesting your own fish with these people that are really passionate about it, um, that, that's as cool as it gets for me. Yeah. What did you do with the fish? What? Did, how did you cook it when we you just, got back? We didn't have a lot the first harvest, so we went back 
uh, to the smaller ones went to Roe, New Hampshire, and they just did a, a roasted whole trout uh, and cured a little for smoked fish. And then um, John at Row 34 Boston uh, got the little bigger ones. He, he just pan roasted them with, you know, seasonal vegetables and yeah. really simple lemon, lemon butter. Just try not to screw it up, you know. Yeah. Another really fun collaboration that we're, we're in the process of right now is um, – uh, there's a company on the fish pier called uh, Boston Spoked Fish. Yeah. Uh, really great guy. So we've met with them and we've developed a recipe with them. And they're going to do a retail pack, co-branded Row 34 Boston yeah. Smoked Fish of smoked steelhead trout pate. And um, it was amazing to kind of test the recipes with those guys. And they're really good at what they do. Yeah. Um, and we've kind of gone back and forth. So we're, we... They're going to get a batch of fish at some point here. We're going to kind of do a little practice batch of uh, smoked fish pate. So you think you're going to go potentially into some retail? Well, this was just more of an experiment um, to make. At one point, we we're a little panicky. Like, yeah. how are we going to use all this fish? Right. Um, store well, I'll just figure out some outlets for it. Right. Uh, I see. And this was just a little. I don't. I. We don't have large ambitions to be. Um, a retail fish presence, but it's really cool packaging. It's really nice branding. Those guys did an amazing job. It was kind of working with. Let's talk about your books. You've written, so another dream status thing for me, at least, is I'm a huge cookbook nerd. Um, Always been enamored by people who put stuff into print to then share to people. Um, And you've written two books. Yeah. Well, one was just the, 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 it's about a year old now, um, a little over a year old. We did a, a did an oyster book, oyster book with uh, Marion Swaybill, and it was, um, uh, and it was really just. There's no, I think there's one recipe in there for mini net. It's not a cookbook. It was more of just kind of a. And, and the book is called Oysters: A Celebration in the Raw, and it was just really, it was a chance. So she did most of the text for the history and and um, you know a little bit of the lure of oysters, and yeah. And for me, it was um, talking about some of my favorite oysters and oyster farmers and in their process and kind of a way to a little nod to them and all they do and how important that is to me and the restaurant. So uh, that was fun. And, and the photographer we got to work with was, was a National Geographic photographer, a really, really amazing guy. He um, His studio is in South Carolina. That's where he lives. But he had never he didn't know how to shuck oysters. So he was doing pictures of shucked oysters so he had to he flew up here for a few days and we had to do intensive oyster shucking boot camp so they looked beautiful for the pictures and um so that was kind of cool and so we'd ship him oysters every week i would have and he would take different pictures and portraits really portraits of oysters it was really stunning and then you know i would just i would write about the farmers i would write about the oysters and flavor profiles and it was just kind of a it was a fun project how how many oysters did you have to taste Oh my God, we tasted, well, you know, we, in the book is over 50 or 60. I don't remember exactly, but they kept adding more. And then, you know, you just, you, I've tasted hundreds of yeah. varieties of oysters over the years. And, yeah. you know, there's only so many ways you can say salty. I've really had to expand my vocabulary on describing right. oysters. What are some of the, what are some of the more different flavor profiles that you ended up being able to articulate through the process? I you guess. know, I, I think when you really sit and eat, oysters side by side by side naked yeah. you know you can really start to pick up some of the nuances you know where you know when people say vegetal or mushroom or umami or seaweed like when you start to think about it and taste it, it that stuff really starts to come out so that was kind of fun I taste oysters all the time to sit and really think about what they taste like and have to write about it was 
was, you know, a great moment for me to kind of really think about what I was doing and re-examine our oyster programs and making sure we were, you know. What about East Coast, West Coast oysters? Well, you know, that's a great question. One of my one of my really good friends and, and someone I really think highly of, Renee Erickson, she has oyster bars in, in Seattle, and her and I become really good friends, and we... Uh, I go out and visit her once in a while. She comes out here and visits me. And, you know, she grew up on West Coast oysters, so she loves West Coast oysters. Right. You know, I'm an East Coast guy. I love East Coast oysters. So it's really, if you're from, you know, Maryland, you love blue crab. If you're from Maine, you love lobster. It's just, it's one of your personal preference. But, um, you know. That's, I, that's nice. That's a nice way of saying it. Yeah. It's, you're, I'm East Coast. You're East Coast. We like East Coast oysters. Yeah, that's, I like that's, East Coast oysters. There's some great <laughs> West Coast oysters. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah. Um, East Coast all day. About two and a half years ago, the New England Kitchen came out. So that was my first book I'd ever done. Um, did that with Aaron Byers-Murray. Um, that was a full-on cookbook. and That's the that's the soul. That's the, like, pride, pride project. The New yeah. England Kitchen. It's well, you. That, it's your heritage. It's... It was it a was pretty amazing process. And it was like, it's like opening your own little 65 seat restaurant and then you're like, Oh, I got to write a cookbook. And then you're like, Oh shit, I got to write a cookbook. And, yeah. uh, really, you know, I thought about doing it years ago. I don't know that I was ready to do it until I was, you know, a little more established and older and you have a really different perspective on food and you feel pretty confident about what you're doing and what you're saying. So that was a long time in the making, but that was just a real opportunity to kind of highlight, I think, um, new England. And I, it was great to do. Yeah, I saw a quote on the book. Um, I think in an article that you 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 released, I think Boston Globe or something. But you're just trying to tell the story of a really iconic part of America through the New England kitchen. So, what are some of those things? Like, what is New England cooking? What is being a cook in New England? Being from New England, I'm from the Cape, so I have uh, hits close to home for me too. So, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of America started here, and a lot of uh, the world came to America here. So that was, and there's little bits and pieces of New England um, spread out all over that, that people brought with them. And I think New England really was just a humble start, I think, and continues to be. I mean, it's, it's uh, there's nothing really flashy about uh, New England. I mean, we're not New York, we're not San Francisco, we're not Chicago. But I also think that from a food perspective, restaurant perspective, um, we're not far behind. I think the restaurants here get better and better and better. Um, and anything I can do to kind of help elevate the status and tell that story, I, I want to do. I uh, a lot of pride in New England. Love Boston. My first job here in 95 and, and couldn't wait to get back here. So yeah. I think the quality of the restaurants and the food, I think the quality of the food is second to none anywhere in the country. I mean, we don't have the seasons that the West Coast does, but yeah. the quality of the farms here. Yeah the quality of the seafood being Um, from new england too that's what makes it interesting and having it's for me personally that's all that i know right is like cooking here through those cycles um but that's part of what makes it interesting is like january february march april there's still yeah not really a whole lot going on april but there's just not it's not a lot happening you know um but it gives you it gives food and what you're doing character and i think that that's what um like to me, at least a lot of the New England stuff and a lot of the things that New Englanders are uh, known for, maybe like crusty New England people being hard, hard people. Yeah. Um, I think we're, in New England, we're always waiting for what's next. So 
you know, if you're in the winter, you're waiting for spring. And if you're spring, you're waiting for summer. And summer, you're waiting for fall. And in the fall, you're waiting for spring. You just want to skip winter. But yeah. um, Well, this steelhead trout thing is going to give you something pretty big to look forward to absolutely. in the winter. And, you know, to be able to inspire in a kitchen in, in February is tough, man. I mean, there's, you know, everyone's, there's only so many time to go to the root cellar and be inspired by carrots and squash and potatoes. I mean, um, oh, on the book, I, on the, the New England kitchen, I looked on Amazon out of stock. That's a good thing, right? I, I, I think so. I hope so. I don't know. Well, hopefully we'll, uh, I don't know. I don't know how that all works. The, the funniest thing I ever saw was somebody went to a book signing. I signed a book and then they tried to sell it as a first edition signed book on Amazon at more expensive than the cover price. And I thought, well, it's they're all first edition. They've yeah. only done one printing, and this guy had a signed book. I was like, that's really cool. I hope yeah. he's. I, I was tempted to buy it just so you know, drive the price up. Awesome. You had that dream of the one restaurant. Now you're in a very different situation of managing, running five spots, hundreds of employees, all that kind of stuff. Um, how do you do it? I mean, or like what? I know you have a really good staff, so then you just kind yeah. of like let people. Like, what's the techniques, or like what are some what are some things you think about when you're like? Well, you you really need to have a clear culinary vision of what you want the restaurants to be and what you expect them to be. Um, and you have to articulate that to your staff. And that can change. That doesn't have to be solid. It can be a little bit fluid. Um, but it has to be consistent. And, and being able to teach that, talk about that, and and execute that are really important. So I think that's a big part of what I've tried to do. Um, I never set out in the world the ambition to have five restaurants or more restaurants. But, you know, one, you have one little restaurant and you have children, you realize you're never going to retire and put them through college and on a 65-seat restaurant. It's just not going to happen. Opportunities come along. I've, I've never I've never looked at an opportunity financially. I looked at it as, is this something I truly want to do? Oyster Bar, Seafood, New England. I've done it my whole life. I, I truly, truly love it and be able to impact a community, impact a, you know the UNH thing, partnering with Skip Bennett, and oysters. We have our own trucks and buying fish directly from fishermen going to the fish pier every day. Um, that impacts the community I live in, the the food community, the fishermen, the farmers. You know, we, we buy so much directly from farms. I hate the term farm to table. I think it's dead. I think that, you know, it's, it's kind of gone. It's, yeah, any, it's just the way it op- people operate it's now. Just the way it's just it the way you should be. Yeah. yeah. And I think that it's just any credible restaurant incorporates that into kind of their daily routine. But to help subsidize a small farm or to make sure that they have an outlet for um, all of their stuff when they when they catch it or grow it. That's how I've been able to impact beyond the restaurant, you know, to be able to impact the food community around me. And that's why I'm helping grow fish and um, all of those things. That's really important to me. Beyond, at the core, I want to be in the kitchen. That's where I feel most comfortable. I think that's what I'm good at. But all of those things that make me successful doing that, I need to support. And that's where I've seen some of these other restaurants, why we've done some of these other restaurants and kind of tried to... I, expand the reach a little bit, yeah, expand and, the people you can support and allow them to absolutely. flourish with you for sure. Yeah, and just give and just opportunity. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm not going to have young men and women work for me for all these years and just expect them to be sous chefs and line cooks. Like they need to be challenged and grow. And as we all have been in our careers and have all wanted to, so... Yeah. Creating that has been a good thing. What does food at home look like? Do you cook at home a lot? I, I try to, yeah. yeah. It, it, food at home is very, very different. And I will say that my children have humbled me um, quite a bit. But my, it, you know, 
cooking for children is just, I've been questioned many times. I was, I remember my son at the time was 10. He's now 13. And, uh, I was making French toast with him and he, in the morning and he asked me, he's like, dad, do you know what you're doing? He's like, that's not how mom does it. Oh, I'm like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, so it's, it's kind of funny to be, you know, you make something that you think is great and your kids won't touch it. Food is, you know, it's a big part of our house. I mean, we fish a lot. My sons and I go fishing a lot and, oh, nice. and I, I cannot grow anything. I've tried to grow tomatoes and basil in the backyard. I can, I kill it every year. I'm horrible at growing stuff, but I'm good at catching stuff. Yeah. Uh, so one of the fun things we do a lot is uh, whether it's lobster that we get from my cousin or we go fishing, we share a lot of meals with, fam- you know, our neighbors and yeah. their families come over. We, you know, we caught a, a tuna this summer and oh. I think we had 20 people in our backyard eating tuna. You know, I love to cook at home, uh, but it's cooking at home and cooking in a kitchen are, are yeah. such different things. And, yeah. and cooking for a family is different than cooking for you and your wife. So it's, it's really, it's, that has been really cool for me to look at food a little bit differently from that perspective. Um, being consistent, being healthy, being, and just, you know, and also trying to introduce new things and, you know, and the, it's nice that the kids are getting a little more experimental. So it's kind of broadened our horizons on what we can do. That, that cookout, when you invited a bunch of people over and caught a big tuna, what were you eating that day? That was, it was so much fun. We were, um, I actually took Garrett and Andrew. We went tuna fishing. We caught it. We caught two tuna. One was too big. We had to release it. And then too big. Yeah. The commercial season was closed. So it was, uh, we had to release it and it was about 500 pounds. And then we caught, uh, about 160 pound tuna later in the day. It was just epic. Brought it home, brought it here, butchered it. And I went home and we, we got the grill going and we cooked off like 25 tuna steaks, just rare. And then my wife went and, you know, we're peak summer. She made a huge green salad and then I made, and I brought a bunch of tomatoes, you know, from, um, local farms at the restaurant home, yeah. tomato salad, green salad, pasta and grilled tuna. And then, uh, with just lemon and, you know, butter all over it. Yeah. And then I took the belly home and just sliced up raw belly into this huge platter of raw belly. And I wish I had a picture. We just did salt and lemon on it, yeah. you know, and just the neighborhood kids just eating raw tuna and the adults like it was just yeah. it was that's, pretty magical yeah, yeah that's dream status that's yeah. dream. what's fun in the spring we do black bass and then the neighbors come over and i just like we'll bring we'll just grill like five or six black bass and put whole fish on the table and just everybody picks at it and yeah. the, the best the, and the kids are like betting each other a dollar who's gonna eat the eyeball and stuff <laughs> so it's the way food should be Thanks to Jeremy for taking time out of his day to sit down and chat with us about all the cool stuff he's got going on. Don't forget to follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Jeremy underscore Seawall and go to his website. Check out what he's got going on. JeremySeawall.com. Go to Island Creek Oyster Bar. Go to Row 34. Go to Lessa Blonde. Eat some oysters. Eat some food. Oysters are the best. Um... And maybe we'll have some adventures soon. Can't wait to go in and try the steelhead trout. Can't wait to see how that project further develops um, and what it is that they end up doing with uh, the whole collaboration. But it's going to be cool stuff, whatever it is. Maybe still crossing my fingers next year, maybe for an adventure with uh, Jeremy. So we will go fishing. Maybe I'll go see the trail farm, you know, who knows? Anything's possible. Thank you for listening. You can follow me on Instagram at Nevin Taylor. I'm on Twitter. Namaste Nevin. 
And definitely check out the website, nevintaylorcooks.com. Going to make an announcement because next week we're going to do it all over again. Going to be a new interview. Going to be more recipes. Going to be shredding. Uh, Yeah. Thanks for listening.